Hello and welcome to Elevate. I'm Randy Taylor. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us once again today. Elevate is a show bringing you in-depth interviews with top experts in the world of human potential, behavior, business, and so much more. My hope is that you'll take what you learn on this show and do something with it. Businesses across Canada can operate at full capacity, of course, again, but many are struggling to find staff to serve their customers. According to a new Bank of Canada survey, 42% of Canadian businesses are reporting labor shortages. Employers in Canada were actively seeking to fill 959,600 vacant positions in that in the third quarter. One issue facing employers is understanding the generation gaps and what matters to them to not only get them to take the job, but to keep it as well. Today's guest is uh, the head of learning and enablement at Optimus SVR. She's co-authored two books, Loyalty Unplugged and Upgrade Now, Canada's first national survey on Gen Zs. And she's a regular on television and radio, including the CBC, CTV News Channel, Mind the Gap, and News Talk Radio. I know that one because I work there as well. Great pleasure to welcome Giselle Kovari to the show. Giselle, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks so much, Randy. This is going to be great. Yeah, really fun. In in the in the pre-interview call that uh, Giselle and I had, I, I should say that uh, if we can only hope that this interview goes as well as the uh, pre-interview call, it's uh, it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it. So, listen. Before we begin, I've always been really fascinated to find out, you know, first about the messenger before we get to the message. So. Uh, your backstory. It's its always so fascinating how people end up in a specific field. So uh, what's, you know, what's your story of what brought you here? Well, it's um, probably not unlike other people. The story wasn't really planned out. Um, I started my career in learning and development. I've really spent the last 25 years plus in the learning and development space. I came out of grad school and I wanted to be an instructional designer. Back then, nobody knew what that meant. Uh, and I said, I want to build you know, content for learning. I want to make sure that I understand adult learners and I want to build really impactful training programs. And that really wasn't a thing in the 90s. I had come out of a grad program focused on instructional design communication. So I started my career there and was working in organizations supporting large Fortune 100 and 500 companies across North America. And I went and took a job at the University of um York University at the Schulich School of Business. And I was working there and I met a colleague. And that colleague and I went for lunch one day. And at the end of the lunch, we said, we think we should do a business. And it was really, um, to some extent, as easy or in as complex as that. We met that weekend and we started working evenings and weekends for almost a year before we quit our jobs. And we thought that we really wanted to explore what is it like to understand, recruit, manage, and lead a diverse multi-generational workforce. So this is back in the early 2000s, and there was a lot of conversations around the fact that we can't get people just like now. We can't recruit them. We can't lead them well. We're having problems with turnover. We're not engaging our people. The terms were different, but the sentiment was the same. And we started to do some research, and we really believed that the generational differences was going to become really critical for organizations and for leaders. And so we quit our jobs and we started our business called Engine People Performance in 2003. Uh, we co-led that business for a number of years. My business partner left, I bought her out and I continued to run that business for almost two decades. And last year sold it into Optimus SBR and became the head of learning enablement there. Brought all of our intellectual property, as you mentioned, the two books I've written, the national survey that we've completed and all of the programming content we've worked with our leaders and, and now bring that into Optimus. So the 
path wasn't really planned. To be frank, my business partner and I didn't think that this would be an issue still now. We thought we'll do this for a couple of years. It'll be really fun. We'll talk about the generations and everyone will have gotten it and we'll move on. And you can imagine that here we are two decades later and this is still um, a situation that's causing people to scratch their heads, can't figure it out, don't necessarily know what to do. So do you see what's going on, you know, kind of right now as, as the perfect storm? So the area that we're going to talk about and your area of expertise is, you know, certainly the diversification of the generations. However, what has happened to the workforce coming out of COVID uh, has compounded that. Uh, has it not greatly that the number of people who sat back during COVID and say, uh, I, I want to look at my life differently now? Absolutely. I mean, COVID has been the game changer as it relates to all human capital or, you know, management of people. There's been such a wide range and and we see this across organizations we work with, such a wide range of shifting um, expectations from employees and what they want from their employment, to your point, and what they expect from their employer and their leader. And so there's a a, a wide range of people that just said, you know what, hey, you know what, I'm actually going to check out of the workforce because I was nearing retirement and now I realize that I really want to make sure I spend time doing other things. Other people said, you know what, I'm just in the wrong career, period. I'm not getting fulfillment from this. This is a great time for me to reflect on my life and where do I want to go to. Some people left and went back to school and said, I'm going to re-educate myself. This was a big issue as we saw people exiting the service industry and then couldn't find people. They're like, where did they all go? They often upskilled and went into other professions because they had that time to do so. So some people reskilled and moved. Other people just said, you know what? I actually don't want to work the 60-hour work weeks I was doing before. I'm going to you know, peel back. Some people are saying, I will never step foot back in an office again. If they make me come in, I will leave and I'll find 100% remote work because there is remote work. Other people saying, you know what, I've got to get back into the office. I can't stand this working from home. I'm working from home today. Many days I'm in the office. Uh, we certainly have an in-office culture. But some people say, you know, we really got to get back because we need that that in, invigorating, you know, motivational energy of each other. So a wide range of changes. And then on top of that, you layer on the generational perspective. And we have this perfect storm for the need to understand each other better, maximize the differences that we have, manage any of the conflict points and look for more high-performing collaborative ways to work together. Yeah, I was thinking about this uh, this morning leading up to our interview and and I don't know, there was a, there was a story on uh, a country over in Africa that, you know, great starvation was going on and the lack of food and everything else. And I thought that, you know, in the employment market, this is kind of going on right now where there's a, there is kind of a, a, a level of, you know, almost mal- malnutrition of the workforce Mm-hmm. Um, there's fewer and fewer, you know, really good qualified people that companies are fighting over. And so they're really having to do things that they never did before or offer things that they never thought before. And I was so speaking to that. And then also millennials, when they first came on the scene and I was in the I was in radio and television at the time. Um, and and they were they were seen as the spoiled generation. That, you know, that they were demanding things that employers were saying, no, 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 me, employer, you, employee, do your job or I fire you. And that was right. That's kind of how it started. And now now it's become something real. Absolutely. So a couple big, big points there. 
there has been a lot of unfairly millennial bashing for at least a decade. And, and you raise it. Why? Because the millennials were that first generation. I mean, I'm a Gen Xer above the millennials. And maybe just to contextualize so people understand when we talk about the different generations, there's in fact five generations. We have the traditionalists, the baby boomers, the Gen Xers, of which I'm one, the millennials. It used to be referred to as Gen Ys. So when we say Gen Ys, it, it means millennials now. And then the youngest cohort, which are the Gen Zs or Gen Zs, if you're American. And so those millennials were that first generation that really pushed against the existing structure. As Gen Xers, we like to think that we were going to do that or we did, but we really didn't. And there was lots of reasons why that didn't happen. We're a small generation. We're sandwiched, you know, between the big cohort of 9.6 million baby boomers and the, and their children, which are the millennials. Uh, we came out into a marketplace where there wasn't a lot of uh, demand for our services. It was during recessionary times. But the millennials had a very different reality. And so they really pushed against organizational structures. And thanks to them, Many of the things that we have today, many of the employee benefits that we have or the work cultures or the things that, you know, we all benefit from across the generations was because millennials pushed and asked for that. But you're right. That was a lot of friction. And for a long time, unfairly, the millennials were really bashed. I would ask leaders in sessions, executive team, boards, um, any manager, and I'd say, describe your millennials. And they only came up with incredibly negative things to say. So we said, okay, hold on a second. Let's step back and understand that. And when we think about the millennials, right, they're in leadership positions now. They're 42-ish to 57. Yeah, 42 to 57. So they are in leadership positions. Sorry, they're, they're 27 to 41. <laughs> My generation is in that, that upper management. And then we've right. got uh, the millennials. So when you think about that starvation as you, as you relate to you know, what's happening in malnourishment around the world, but the malnourishment of what's happening in organizations today, it's around engagement, connecting, and meaningfulness. And every single generation wants that, but the younger generations want it even more. And that's what we're seeing from the Gen Zs. The Gen Zs, I've been saying, and we've seen this in our research, that they want to go into organizations and they actually want to stay for a long time. 85% in our study said they want to stay with an employer for a long time. So a little different than the, than the millennials that we're looking to often move and job hop a lot. Let's jump back for a second to the millennials, because you know, again, again, I was a member of the media and, and you're right, all this bashing was going on. And it was, you know, it was it was kind of ethereal almost that uh, all they you know, they want all this special treatment and they want all this. It wasn't really defined. So define it for us. The millennials, what were they specifically hoping to to get from an employer? And at the time, the employers were hating it. Well, I mean, we, we give each generation sort of a tagline and we say certainly for the millennials, their goal or a goal for each generation, their goal was to find work and create a life that had meaning to them. And so when we frame it in that big picture, they were going to organizations and they're saying, I want flexibility and, and far more than what was provided before. I mean, once upon a time, working from home was revolutionary. I still worked with many leaders just leading up to COVID where they said, if I can't see you, you're not working. So this idea you had to be physically in the office. They were asking for flexibility. They were asking for far more engagement. So they wanted their opinion to be solicited, listened to and acted upon in organizations. They wanted to be involved in decision-making. They wanted to have access to senior leaders. And that changed in a lot of organizations. So many of the banks today, you know, you'll have intake programs for early and career talent and the CEO or the senior executive team will show up and meet with, engage with those people. 
Older generations remember a time when they could have spent their entire career at the bank and they would have never even been in the same room as a senior executive right. team ever. So um, they, they were asking for that. And in many respects, they got that. They were also saying, I want to do something meaningful in my work early in my career. So don't have me come in and do the sort of busy work or grunt work. Don't expect me to come in and just pay my dues uh, without any meaningfulness or you know, meat on the bone. Don't just hand off the tasks you don't like to me because I'm young. Give me something that can apply my skills. And they want to do that on you know day one not week one, month one, or year one. And coupled with that, then came the expectation, the request, the demands around rapid career progression, being able to move faster in their career. And along with that is the investment that the organizations are being asked to make in, in employees learning and development. So, you know, learning and growing and expanding one's skills became a, a table stake for the millennials. And did this not end up becoming, you know, uh, this this great unknown bonus to the organizations, too? And I, you know, in when I'm speaking at conferences and, and things like that on productivity and, you know, engagement with the employees on the power of inclusion that prior to this, uh, organizations would say, well, you know, the top two or three percent make 98 percent of all of the decisions. That's what we pay them for. And you people go and, you know, do you do the menial work? Uh, and what they're starting to realize by, you know, the millennials and everyone else coming out and saying, we want to be part of this. We want to be included. We want to be something. They're now tapping into a brain trust that they never did before. Yes. Isn't that true? Absolutely. And tapping into the creativity and innovation that just generally younger talent brings in. So I'm working on a project now that's about building a you know sales program for early and career talent uh, for a large firm in, in the US and it's going to be for the Gen Zs or the Zs. But it was exactly that, that the millennials were that first generation where organizations opened up and said, you know what, there's a lot of incredible talent here, innovation, creativity, fresh perspectives. And so that's the same thing we're seeing in the programs today. They're saying, we want to bring young talent in. We want to give them um, meaningful work. We want to coach them. We want to you know, push them hard and, and give them challenge. But we also want to be open to hearing their ideas. And the millennials were the ones who opened that door first. Right. They were actually the ones that had to rally against the system to say, hold on a second. I think we can do something differently here. We can leverage technology better or we can be more creative or we can find a different way to this solution. And many organizations, that was a major rubbing point. When you think about traditional industries like the government, uh, banking, insurance, oil and gas, shipping, uh, military, paramilitary organizations I work with, all of those organizations had to look at their leadership style and how were they going to flatten the hierarchies potentially, be more open to dialogue, bottom-up feedback, and tap into creativity and innovation, regardless of somebody's tenure in the organization. And again, breaking that that old model that, you know, you trade life for money, you give me this many hours along with your skill, and here's the multiple, and this is the check that you take home. But then in finding out, you know, through all of this, that generation, the millennials that were, you know, scowled at and hated in the beginning, have opened the doors so much, I think, to, you know, to so many more organizations understanding the psychology yes. uh, of what it takes to have an employee engaged um, and it, it's not about the 3% raise. I mean, salary and remuneration almost never make the top three of employee yeah. satisfaction surveys. Belonging, mattering, being a part of something always make the uh, make the top three. And so it, it must, from, from your work, you must see uh, a huge shift. So there's, you know, this is, this is a good question. 
when you go and work with a, you know, with a, a new organization, there's going to be, you know, people with kind of the old mentality and old guard, you know, the, the payoff and benefits uh, of not only being able to attract better people, keep better people, but get more out of them. Yes. How does that play with the people who are open to what you're saying as opposed to the people who are, you know, kind of old school and closed? Well, I, I would say a couple of things. I mean, the resistors are, are fewer and fewer. I mean, I mentioned even before COVID, there were some resistors to flexible work arrangements or work from home. And then we had a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. and, and those individuals really don't have um, a leg to stand on any longer. Um, it doesn't mean that there isn't good rationale and good science and, and good data that we don't need to come back into the office for a certain amount of time right. or the value of collaborative collaboration in person. Um, but that sort of traditional old school mentality, which was, you know, I'm going to have to watch you do your job that went away. So there's not a lot of resistors to many of the concepts which we speak about. What there is, is a lack of understanding on how to operationalize it and how to tactically deliver on that as a leader or as an organization. And, and I think that's the reason why this work has had legs for 20 years and why we've been able to work uh, around the world is because people are trying to say, how do we implement this into our people practices or our leadership practices or our recruitment practices, or our compensation and benefits. And as you're right, I mean, comp and Ben doesn't even usually hit the top 10 in many surveys. Right. Yeah. Having said that, and it was interesting when we surveyed our Gen Zs in Canada, 71% of them define themselves as savers versus spenders. Many parents say, well, that's just because they're spending my money, not their own. <laughs> <laughs> they're still in my basement. That's right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But they also said they want, you know, benefits and security. They're a little more risk adverse than the millennials were. So, I mean, I think some of those things still are important. I don't want to discount them. But within the context of meaningful work, as you said, contribution, engagement, connection, all of those things become more important. And we actually asked a question, you know, would you rather have an interesting job that pays less or a better paying job that wasn't interesting? And they chose the less paying and more interesting work, right? Hands down, right? It, it's That's just, uh, it, it is, you know, absolutely remarkable. And so many, I'm sure you have lots of data on this, but uh, I do a lot of work in the financial services uh, space uh, and, and the rest. And, you know, many of the companies will estimate that the, you know, the hiring and training cost is kind of in the $60,000, $65,000 range. Mm -hmm. So, what, you know, when you look at that as bottom line, when you're bringing people in, um, you know, you bring them in, you do all this work, you train them, they're in the organization, they go, oh, wait a minute, those guys are really nice to work for. Bye. Yeah. Right. And you invested all this money and it's gone. Is it's that important. something that employers are really starting to, you know, use as a calculation in how they're going to create the, you know, the culture and what they're going to offer? Yeah. I mean, it's important to look at the the return on investment for any of the development you put into your people, but retention in particular and the stickiness with organizations. And that is why this is so important right now, because organizations can't get and keep talent, as you said. I mean, it's a hot labor market. And until we go into, say, a full-blown recession, and it may not hit every industry um, or not certainly at the same time, there's going to be lots of pockets of the, the population and industries and sectors that need people and will continue to need people. So recruiting 
the best and then being able to keep them and keep them longer is really, really a focus. And we do this by being able to your point, which is having connections and engagement. And that comes from the frontline leader that becomes that one person they have a connection to. So whether you're talking about a, a Gen Z who's just entering into the work world, coming right out of college or university, or you're talking about a more experienced hire, it's their connection with their leader. And so we spend a lot of time supporting leaders and understanding how do you engage people? What kind of behaviors do you need to demonstrate? How do you communicate? How do you do that in a hybrid world now? Because not everyone's going to be office all the time, or maybe it's 100% remote work. And we use a very um, simplistic model, Randy, to some extent, but it's been one that I wrote about in my first book and has permeated all the work that we do. And we talk about the employee engagement and we talk about the organizational engagement. So sort of that two sides of the coin. So on the one side, we know the data that comes out around employee engagement. We need people that are going to be you know, rationally engaged. They give 110% of the, to the organization and in their job. The second is the emotional engagement. People talk about that heart, right? You're proud of where you work. Employees um, rave about the organization, speak highly of the leaders, encourage their friends to work there. And then engaged employees will also accept accountability. They won't place blame on others when something goes wrong. They'll own it. They look for ways to learn. Um, you know, they'll, they'll accept accountability when something goes wrong, but they'll also take the wins. So how do we drive that kind of behavior? And we do that in a very simple model, which we call TRP transparency, responsiveness, and partnering. Leaders and organizations have to be incredibly transparent about their motives and intentions. They have to be clear about why they're doing things. They need to open more broadly and share information across the organization. And they have to make a connection for people around what they're doing and the impact that's having on the big picture. So that goes to your point around connection and meaningfulness, and especially young talent, early in career folks, they're trying to figure out why am I doing this job? Like, why is this important? Sometimes it's maybe not the sexiest job or not the most fun activity to do, but it has value. So we have to be transparent and make connections for people. Leaders also need to be incredibly responsive. So it is about soliciting people's opinions. It is doing what those millennials asked for for so long, which was allow me to give some suggestions or be creative and innovative. We want to have more feedback loops with individuals. We want to solicit opinions, circle back with them. give Isn't them it important, too, that when you're going through that process and you, you can't just pay lip service to it because your oh. staff are bright. Yes. Right? You can't open up you know, the door and say we're inclusive and we want your opinions and we want this. Are we going to you know, take everything that you, you, know, you suggest to us? No, of course not. But isn't it true, though, that the organizations also really need to show they're listening? Absolutely. And yeah. that's that second piece is to your point. So many leaders say to me, well, I don't want to ask for opinions because I'm going to get a whole bunch of ideas that I'm never going to be able to action. Say, no, that's not the point. <laughs> You're not that smart. They're going to come up with ideas that you will use. Yeah. And you know what? You may not be able to use nine out of 10 of them, but the 10th one you might. And yeah. so a key piece, a key piece of being able to be responsive is also to your point, proactively managing expectations and saying, look, these are the things we are going to do. And these are the things we aren't going to do. And this is why, but thank you for your ideas. I say all the time, you cannot manage people's expectations if you don't know what they are. So we might as well ask. And so many leaders and organizations are scared to ask because they're afraid of what the answer is, as opposed to saying, tell me your ideas. And now we're going to have dialogue around what we're going to be able to do and what we're not going to be able to do. Because there's just certain things that won't be done, but that's okay. Employees accept that as long as you've listened and you've given the dialogue some time and you've given them an opportunity to share. 
So that's the R. And then the final one is the P. And P is really for partnering. It's embracing the concept that today every single employee in any business, in any organization, not-for-profit and otherwise, is an investor of their human capital. So a gentleman named Thomas Davenport wrote a book on human capital many years ago. And he said, we all possess five things. And and I always go back to this because I think it's so impactful. We all have knowledge, skills, abilities, time, and effort. So this is the equalizer. Many people will be saying, you know, oh, young talent. They don't have any knowledge, skills, or ability, right? I've been in the industry for 40 years. Okay. Yeah. They have time and they have effort they can give you. And that young person, you know, or or mid-career person saying, okay, you know what? My knowledge, my skills, and ability are pretty honed here. But am I going to invest my time and effort in this organization or not? So every single employee, team member, wherever you are, they're choosing to invest their human capital with you because they think they can get a return on that investment. And whatever that return means to them, it may be pay and benefits for some, as you said, it may be that dollar, but for a lot of people, it might be flexibility or meaningfulness or connection or a work-life balance. And so knowing that requires that leaders be partnering in their approach all the time, not we're the employer and you're so lucky to work here. One of the aspects, too, that uh, I've always considered is that um, I've spent my adult life studying the human mind, right, and and, and behavior. And, you know, when we talk about employees giving 110 percent, when you walk through, you know, a a sea of cubicles and all the people are there, how do you know, (laughs) right, how hard I'm working? How do you know what I'm, am I thinking about my canoe trip this weekend? Am I actually working on this project right now? And and from an employer, there is no way to know. Right. Uh, And so, you know, I've always believed that productivity is so driven by, you know, the psychological connection that the person has. The great philosopher, comedian Steve Martin said, (laughs) you gotta wanna, right? And and if you can't create an environment where your people wanna win, wanna contribute, their productivity is completely at their, you know, at, at their own direction. And no but one can it always has been, you know, yeah. I mean, I think that we think that that is new, but it really isn't. And, and I think what you're speaking to there, Randy, is that intrinsic motivation, right? Versus right. the extrinsic. So yes, there will always be extrinsic, extrinsic drivers to motivation, which generally in our economy is, is money. Right. It's the, 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 the pay, the benefits, the bonus, whatever that's external to us. What you're talking about is how motivated is somebody internally to do the work that they want to do and how inspired are they to do that? And no, I can't tell when you're working on a project, if you're thinking about your future canoe trip. But what I will know is the output that you provide and the quality of that. And when we started to shift away from process to outcomes, so less around how many hours did you sit at your desk? Or how many you know things did you tick off on your list today? And more about the quality of the work that you did. Are you meeting your deliverables? Um, are your colleagues happy to work with you? You know, are clients, stakeholders, whomever you're supporting externally, you know, is the quality of the work that you're delivering on time, on budget, et cetera, et cetera? Then those are the the monikers to say, you know what, Randy, you're really invested here. And yes, there's going to be days where you're thinking more about your canoe trip or maybe planning your canoe trip in the middle of the day. But but how are you going to show up and and what shifted over time? And this is for all generations now, but our youngest our youngest colleagues are the ones that are best at it is what shifted over time was just this fluidity of integration between work and life. We saw that during COVID. 
to some extent too much. Some people said, you know what, my now my workday is bleeded into my entire life. So I sit down in the morning and I wake up and I think, oh my gosh, right? I look up and I think, oh my goodness, the whole days have gone by. Or I feel like I'm waking up because so much time has been spent. But we've had this fluidity and the younger generations do that much more naturally than, than older generations do. And it's saying, hey, you know what? I'm gonna get done what I have to get done for work and I'm gonna have my life as well. Right. And the speed by which younger colleagues can do that is always amazing. I just was at a session this week and, uh, and a gentleman came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, I hired some young people and he said, I have one person on my team and he goes, I like to get in the office early. And he fired something off to the to the you know new new person, the new grad, and said, "Hey, can you run these reports when you come in?" He said five minutes later, they had connected different systems. He sent a report. The, the young guy was on the bus coming into the office, coming in for whatever nine or nine thirty, and he said, "I was blown away." The interesting thing, though, was this leader said, "I feel now incompetent as a leader," and I thought, "Wow." We said, "Why?" Yeah. Really? All of us were talking together in a group. I said, why? And he said, because, you know, I, that would have taken me a week to figure out how to use these systems. I said, it's not about feeling incompetent as the leader. It's about saying how bright you were to hire somebody in that role. Exactly. And think yeah. about yeah, all yeah. the things right. you can do and how engaged that young person is and go back and thank them for that. Let them know, hey, you know what? You just automated systems that, that we haven't done before. You're adding so much value or let's, let's be able to look at more data quicker and faster and better. And that collectively we all level up. That's why we, you know, always get our kids to connect our apps and figure out the technology and, uh, you know, in our houses. So, I mean, no question today, as it, as it always has been, you know, the success of, uh, you know, the corporate world is going to be based on human capital, you know, concepts and effort and uh, engagement and all the rest of it. W what do you see now? And for employers that are, you know, that are that are listening and paying attention and saying, Hey, that's me, right? We're struggling right now to to find and attract and keep the right people. What are you seeing people leaving companies for, right? And what are you seeing people going to companies for? So, I mean, right at the at the base of it, that's what employers need to need to learn, I think. Absolutely. And and I think that some of this is the same and some of this has shifted since COVID. So, there will always be a subset of the population that wants a certain kind of work style. And so, as I mentioned at the beginning, there's some people that will be leaving because they don't, for example, want to return to office or some people that will be joining because they do. But fundamentally, I think what employees look for and the reason why they gravitate towards businesses and teams is a place where they can contribute. It's a place where it is a collaborative environment um, the leader is open to suggestions and ideas. They do lead, right? They have clear direction. They bring people along with a vision. People have meaningful, challenging work. So this is not just work that that is, you know, rote, that could be automated. It, it has value. And people see a connection to something bigger than themselves, right? They understand the impact that they're making. Um, and, you know, if you're if you're in a not-for-profit, for example, that may be very easy to, to position that. It may be more challenging if you're in another industry or another group. But really making connection for people are they doing. And people want to show up and do a good job. So giving them that freedom to do that and understanding who they are. A big piece that we're seeing from younger people is also around that diversity and inclusion piece. And that is not that is not going away. That is now table stakes. It was fascinating. We surveyed before COVID. We asked Gen Zs. 
um, how how important is it for you to work and live in a diverse and inclusive community um, and organization? And 76% said it was. During COVID, we surveyed again that question, smaller sample size, but we surveyed and that jumped to 100%. And so this is now, you know, just table stakes for this generation. It's a given. It's not a nice to have, it is a must have. And so organizations also really need to look at whether or not they are truly being inclusive. And inclusion as defined by younger people is very different than maybe what our generations refer to it as, right? It was not just gender and sexual orientation and religion and age. It's so many of the other things. What makes up that person as a unique, authentic individual? So I say all the time, if you're a marathon runner or a vegan or a dog mom, right? What are those elements that are important? And is your leader and is your organization understanding you authentically and allowing you to sort of bring that that element of yourself um, to work? And I'm not mean you get to bring your puppy to work, which I would love, um, <laughs> but you, you sort of, you know, people understand that, that, you know, you may be rushing home because um, you've got to take care of your kids and somebody else is rushing home because they have to go take care of their puppy, right? Yeah. And, and that kind of dialogue that's open and younger generations are just open and exploring and talking about that and saying, of course we would. We would care about that just as we would care about anything else. But that's a mind shift in organizations. As, a, you know, as, as an employer, how do, you, how do you articulate this and how do you get that out to the marketplace and saying, Look, we're we're down, you know, eight percent in staff right now. We need these skills. You know, we are good people. We, you know, we we want to ask opinions. We want to engage people. We want the creativity. How do you get that out into the marketplace to be able? And you're fighting every other company, right, out there that it's looking for the same thing you are. I think I'd say that the the best way I can answer that is what I've seen and what I've seen at Optimus SBR and what we've been able to do because, you know, it's been really fascinating for me. Being an entrepreneur for 20 years and coming into an organization, uh, one that's growing, that has a great growth story. But what are the things that make it sticky? And why has our turnover been so low? Or, you know, why have we been able to attract more and more people? And it's because of the culture. And I, I know that's a simple answer, but it's also complex. So what does culture really mean? And at Optimus, we're very clear, right? Um, our people come first, period. So how do we create an environment where people feel connected? We do a lot of social activities together. There's a lot of, of um, volunteer activities where we're contributing to the community. There's all kinds of committee work where people lead those. So employees are um, empowered through delegation to be able to take and make an impact. Um, there's a lot of transparency from the CEO and senior leadership team around where's the business going, what's happening all kinds of ways in which people can see a career path for where they can grow, investment in people's learning, and a work hard, play hard kind of culture together. So fun events that bond us together, um, celebrations, whether that's from you know monthly to people's birthdays, to celebrating Black History Month this month, for example, to celebrating a win in the business. All of these things are small little grains of sand, but they add up to something significant. And exactly your point, Randy, people say, well, you know what, we had a bad quarter, so we're cutting those things. That's the worst time to cut them. All right. Because yeah. people need to feel that they are part of a, you know, a connection, even more so if it's an, or an environment organization where people are working virtually more and more. So all of those little things contribute and we start to level them up and say, okay, you know what? Yeah, that's a contributor, that's a contributor, that's a contributor. 
then you have a culture where people are drawn to. People say, I want to work there versus over there. And organizations can do it, but they often don't want to spend the time, energy, and effort to cultivate that. And then they're wondering why they're not getting the best people or more importantly, why they can't keep the best people. And the importance of you know the leader's role in the organization to get down into the trenches, to be able to, you know, to show the people, you know, that this is not lip service, that they they actually know, you know, this person's a dog mom, right? And this, you know, and to be able to say, I, one of the stories that I've told ad nauseum, and it's, I don't know, probably 30 odd years ago, uh, I was working in a radio station. It was for Standard Broadcasting. They were across the country. Alan Slate was a billionaire and owned all the uh, all the stations. Never met him before in my life. Uh, got off the air. I was doing the morning show. Uh, walked out of the back of the radio station with a couple of workers. A limousine pulled in to the uh, to the driveway, and he got out, and we're all like, "Oh my God, that's Alan!" Right? Right. And he gets out of the car and he looks over and goes, "Randy, good show today." And it was like. I don't think I touched the ground for an hour. It's like Alan talked to me, right? Like, you know, and, and but I mean, but that's human nature, right? We, we, we all need to matter. We need to belong. We need to count for something. And so to the leaders out there that feel like they're too busy doing their jobs and, you know, they have a lot of responsibility, speak to the importance of that, of getting into the trenches and get to know everybody. Yes. And you'll never forget that story. Right. I've told it a thousand times. That's right. right. And it's pivotal because I'm sure that day and future days, your engagement level increased and you felt, oh my gosh, I felt listening to my show that made it to the dinner table and everything you're talking about strikes me that uh, if these actions make it to the conversation at the dinner table, you're doing something right. That's right. Right. And um, I think for a lot of senior leaders, certainly when I work with senior leaders, it's they forget the impact that they do have. And it seems so simple to them, right? They're like, well, what do you mean? Of course, I said hello to Randy um, or I listened to the show or but but often, especially in big organizations, employees feel more and more removed from the senior leaders. Naturally, if you've got tens of thousands of employees, you're not going to know everyone's name. You're not going to be able to do that. Smaller businesses can maybe have more high touch. But even in small businesses, you sometimes see leaders, what we talk about in that partnering piece is they need to view themselves as part of the team, not outside of the team. I can't tell you how many times I've been at client events where the senior leadership team says, oh, yeah, we're going to go off site and do this fun event. And Giselle, you'll come in and be, you know, a speaker. There's always a learning component. I'm usually right. right before the cocktails. So nobody really wants to, to be there. And I'm like, OK, you know what? Finish my session. You can start drinking. But so many times the leaders say that and then there's a fun activity. And what do they do? They either leave or they don't participate. Right. And I'm thinking, come on, it's so simple. You've just you said missed, it's supposed you to missed be a the mark, right? Yeah. yeah. You are part of the team. You're not outside of the team. And I mean, we see that a lot in our organization with a lot of fun, uh, so much so that we, you know, we had uh, executives with pie in the face for a charity event. And we raised a lot of money for it. Amazing. Um, Right. Yeah. It's just, you know, because then they become real and then and then, you know, the 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 team really feels like, you know, I'm 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 at the same level as, you know, as they are. I I had a guest on my show about a about a week and a half ago and he's involved in all this philanthropic work down in Central America and everything else. And he grew up family of four and his parents ended up starting a group home and he had 25 brothers and sisters. Wow. And his father's philosophy, since he was a little kid, said, look, 
I don't care who comes into this house. There isn't a difference between any of us. I don't care if you're blood or they came into our house yesterday. We are all equals. And that stuck with him his entire life. And mm -hmm. I thought, you know, in, in the corporate environment, um, to really develop that philosophy and that mindset that we're all parts of the car, right? We all have our jobs uh, and no one is better than anyone embodying that and, and feeling it in an organization. I just think it would have, you know, such a great impact on the team. It does. And it goes back to that transparency piece. We're all part of that car, but sometimes it's not clear for people, especially when they join the organization or they're new in their career. What part am I? Or they're right. working on their part and they're thinking, you know what? Um, you know, I'm just a little piston here in the engine. And what, what impact do I make? What difference does it make? Right. And being able to connect people to that bigger picture. Absolutely. And I mean, it's also a wonderful and beautiful story around equity, isn't it, right? That, you know, we're, we're going to look and treat and feel about each other um, as equals, regardless of, of, you know, as he said, whether they were, you know, blood or just walked into, walked into their, to their group home. Yeah. And I think in businesses, we can do that too, right? Equitable um, and, and fair sort of practices is important, but more importantly saying, have we also taken into consideration the uniquenesses and the individual needs? So it's, it's that balance between, oh, we've got the corporate policy to what are the levers we want to be able to engage people and drive and motivate people towards performance. Employees understand that, you know, we are here and we're going to have to do a job and we have to, if you're in a for-profit business, you have to make money. You've got shareholders and sure. you've got, you know, deliverables and targets, but it's important to bring people along to understand that story and why and get motivated. Um, one one final really one final question. I, I know you have to go. You've got another appointment uh, standing by, but one final question. What are your thoughts are on doing something really radical and taking the annual employees evaluation form and turning it into an employee's goal form? Yeah, I mean, there's Collecting been, much of the same data, but still changing the direction of what it what it means. There has been a lot of work done already in the last couple of years around performance management um, and reimagining re what that experience looks like or that discussion looks like. Um, and we've done a lot of work in the career development conversations because they're different. And when we think about that goal setting and the motivation for employees, it's really around career and a big focus on career managers or career development and how people can help each other manage their careers. And I say each other because once upon a time, it was your leader telling you what your career was going to be. And what we talk about now is a need to be very strong career collaborators. So if you have somebody who reports into you, if you're a leader, and you and you think that they have a career path and an opportunity within your business, yes, you want to share that, but you also want to have a discussion and dialogue around where do they want to go and coaching them towards their goals. When we do that, we level up people's engagement levels. And leaders say to me all the time, yeah, but Giselle, what if they say to me they want to go to a different department? Okay, well, if we can keep them in the business, that still may be a win. Or they say, but they tell me they want to go do something else. Say, okay, you know what? You're still going to be able to invest and help them get there. They are going to walk through fire for you, right? They're going to um, you know, jump over, over mountains to make sure that they get their job done because they're also really inspired about where they're going. It makes me think of a story a long time ago with a hardware retailer we worked with. And at the end of the session, we came up and we were talking about this. 
and, and a woman said, I've got somebody on my team and they're going to night school tonight. So they've got to hit the road. It's really bad traffic. And we said, oh, that's interesting. You know, what are they studying? They said, studying to become a paralegal. And we said, oh, interesting. Do you need paralegals in your team, right? Hardware, there's a hardware retailer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a big one. And she said, no. We said, oh, you support this? She says, oh yeah. In fact, we partially fund her tuition. We say, really? Why is that? And she said, this has been her dream. She's always wanted to go back to school and become a paralegal. It's probably gonna take her five or six years at night. And guess what? I have a highly engaged employee for the next five or six years. So you to care me, about your people and they care about you, right? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, it really is, uh, it, it comes down to human nature and what, you know, nature. what drives us all. Yes, it to, is. Uh, it's for humanizing that leadership experience and connecting. We could do this for hours. I hope uh, very much to get a chance to uh, have you come on for uh, for a future show. Love that. This is this is really fascinating, and I know that you know both the you know the generations who are listening, and uh, the, you know both on the employee side and the employer side, lots of really good uh, information and uh, and and takeaways. And I I very very much thank you for your time. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Lots of fun, Randy, and happy to chat anytime. All right. Take care. What a, what a fascinating interview, uh, Giselle Cavari. I'm Randy Taylor, and on behalf of everyone here at Elevate, hope to join us uh, for more of the future shows. Until that time, have an amazing day and be well.